technology is getting smarter, AI is coming in and machine learning are coming into the mix. We still need a human driver around all of that, but data informed decision making is key for the next generation for, of, of, um, of innovation, but also productivity gains and the inevitable shift in workforce from some types of jobs to other types of jobs. Hello and welcome to Zebra Talk. My name is Matt Mayer and today I'm in conversation with Benjamin Turner from Agrometrics. And Agrometrics is an agri-food data marketplace company which has as its mission creating a sustainable and resilient agri-food sector powered by data. Now I studied data and geographical information systems back at university in the early 90s and as a result I came to this conversation with what I can only describe as a prehistoric understanding of the power of data in modern agriculture. But what I learned through talking to Benjamin is the critical role that data and analytics now play in modern agriculture and the opportunity that presents not just for creating a more efficient uh, and productive sector but also a more sustainable sector. So in today's conversation, we explore business challenges from building open data sets to data governance and data ethics, but also more personal leadership challenges, learning from the uh, opportunities to be more interdependent in the way we operate in business and how to be a humble leader. Benjamin, Absolutely delighted to be able to have today's conversation and welcome to Zebra Talk. Thank you very much for inviting me along. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a, it's a really good time for us to be talking. Um, it, it's great to catch you as, as Agrometrics comes um, out of a period of reflection and um, strategy review. Um, so I'm really, really excited about some of the themes that we're going to talk about during the, during the course of our conversation. In in order to share the the pleasure that I get, the, the inner geek in me that's that's intrigued by and fascinated by agrometrics, I thought actually maybe a good way to start would be just to just to give a little bit of an explanation um, about the the business and um, what you're trying to achieve. Great, thank you very much. So agrometrics is one of the UK's agritech centres for agricultural innovation. Um, Why well, we get about half of our income from Innovate UK. And the other half is commercially raised through um, through subscriptions and projects. And we're a team of software engineers, data scientists, knowledge engineers who have come together with a mission to transform the agri-food sector through a thriving data marketplace where data can be easily shared, monetized and accessed. So that's me getting our mission statement across. But what does that mean in practicality? Uh, we're creating what we see as being essential national infrastructure, like the motorway network, but for interconnecting data and accessing data across the global agri-food sector, across the supply chains. And uh, we have a focus on the UK, but supply chains for, for, for food products are necessarily global. And a key strategic point I would get across is that we operate under the principles of what are called fair data, FAIR standing for findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. And uh, most of those words will make instant sense to somebody hearing those other than perhaps interoperable. And just to explain that, core to what we do within our data marketplace and how we work with customers and the market to join data is to make data easily understood and able to be merged without losing the meaning. And that's really, really important 
in terms of making data easy to reuse and, um, and analyze in new contexts. Our customers are generally corporates, all research institutes, all government organizations and bodies, or application developers who are creating technology tools that they can put in the hands, say, of farmers. We tend not to have farmers directly as customers of Agrometrics. So I've, I've always simplified in my own head um, Agrometrics down to being a, a data science business in, in a business that the layman doesn't, or in a sector that the layman doesn't generally associate with data. But clearly that was wrong because I've, I've learned a huge amount about how the sector is, is driven um, by, by data and, and science. So I think it's absolutely fascinating. It's, a, it's an interesting, I guess, an interesting time to be involved with the agricultural sector. Um, we've seen a lot of, um, I was going to use the word scrutiny, but I, I don't mean that in the negative sense, a lot of attention on on agriculture as a sector from a from a food security point of view, with the obviously with the pandemic and um, disruptions to supply chains, but also from a from a climate change perspective and a, and a biodiversity perspective, and in, and in our own business, um, we've we've seen the 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 sort of rush of money coming into agritech as an investment sector, particularly in the US. So I think it's a really it's a really interesting time to be to be thinking about agriculture as a as a sector. And I, and I wonder what your views were really on what what the the sector is facing in terms of issues as we go into the next um, next decade. Thank you. I um I don't have a background in agriculture, farming, agri-food. Uh, I came into the sector for the first time three years ago when I joined Agrometrics. And, um, and what I've learned a lot of uh, since I've joined is how difficult this sector is to make a profit in. If you're a farmer, there are so many pressures on this sector, whether they are climate and weather and other environmental factors, pest and disease, whether it's changing consumer habits, and the impact that that's, that has on what is produced, how it is then processed, how we buy those goods and services as consumer consumers, uh, sustainability issues, issues around soil fertility and compaction that make it increasingly difficult to produce, um, and inequalities. Uh, you know, there are uh, large land uh, owners, large land holders. Uh, may be turning a, a great profit, but the majority of farmers are not and rely very, very heavily on subsidies. And of course, with Brexit comes the change from what was the common agricultural policy and the basic payment scheme to what is now known as the environmental land management scheme, which will reward farmers for farming in a way that keeps air clean, keeps watercourses clean, uh, develops thriving wildlife, uh, adapts for climate change, protects against environmental hazards. Um, on top of the Brexit uh, and the shift from cap to elms agenda is the whole sustainability issue around net zero carbon, which is influencing so many new farming practices like regenerative agriculture. And then there's the issue that's facing all of us at the moment, which is how we respond to the pandemic that we're in, how long this will continue to impact every sector within our economy honestly for years to come as we recover from the from where we the, the debts we came to last year and how we build our rebuild our economy in new ways going forwards so I think there are a lot of issues that farmers are having to deal with at the moment 
And I think yeah, that that range of issues requires people in the industry who not who are not just technical experts, but also come from a from a problem solving background. So it'd be really interesting to 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 know more about how you did actually end up in the agricultural sector and and and, and the career path that you've taken to to dealing with some of the issues you're dealing with now. Okay, great stuff. You've actually taken some words straight out of my mouth there because um, essentially I'm a problem solver. So um, where I learned my trade was uh, in kind of business and technology consulting across a range of different industries. Uh, These were utilities, financial services, professional services businesses. Um, That's where I built up that early business acumen. And um, at the end of that part of my career, I was at the heart of building billion dollar businesses for others. So at that point, I came, kind of went through a bit of a pivot where I thought, actually, I can do some of this myself. And I started to join uh, technology businesses, uh, scale-ups. I was the COO, the chief operating officer of three scale-up businesses. Uh, these were in the technology, data, and managed service spaces. We got those to exit in various ways, whether it's a trade sale or a refinancing event. And then I went through another pivot around thinking, you know, data's at the heart of everything. So actually, even at that stage in my career, I needed to kind of change up my career around data. And I ended up working alongside some really talented chief data officers in global businesses, in global media giants and food producers. So I think those um, those kinds of experiences put me on the broad journey that's got me towards agrometrics. But what I've kind of learned on the way in terms of defining moments for me were around kind of the professionalism and integrity that came from that early background. Being an engineer by training and a chartered engineer, having a code of conduct, having ethics that I live by, Um, being a certified management consultant, uh, being a problem solver, as you said, envisioning the future, building for the long term. These kinds of things really influence how I think about business and therefore what are the sustainability issues for business into the long term. And that's not just about environmentalism. It's about sourcing. It's about culture. It's about long-term capabilities. It's about connecting with the market in a way that shows that you're going to add value and have a have a have a purpose into the long term. And um, I think at a personal level, part, that that moment which I mentioned before about setting out on my own was quite pivotal to me to me at a personal level. I learned a lot about my own self-resourcefulness. But I learned about interdependence. Whilst I was within a team, I could kind of crack on and do my thing. But when I was out on my own, I really had to make things work with others. I really had to bring people together and work out how best to make the most of my impact. So my impact grew as a result of that. And I think this is what I've learned through my career and what I'm really loving about the situation I'm in at the moment with Agrometrics is that everything that I'm about now is how do we, how do I create more impact from what I can put into my work environment and into the sector. So, you know, there was a particular time about 10 years ago 
when I had a really, really great coaching point from my then chairman at that particular business, that particular startup, where he said, Benjamin, you've got nothing to prove. And I suddenly realized, like, you know what? You're right. I can think about what I've achieved and what I could still achieve. And the only person I need to demonstrate that to, to is myself. Um, and that really opened up my mindset. I suddenly became very receptive to lots of new philosophies around um, the changing culture uh, at work. Um, everyone listening to this will have heard of Simon Sinek and his start with why and how influential that is. But really understanding what does that mean about starting with why? Not just the superficial first level question, but what's deeply behind that? Matthew Syed with his book Bounce, now rebel ideas his series of books is phenomenal when you think about the changing culture uh, in the workplace so i think those kinds of things led me to the point where i've kind of reinvented myself around being um being someone who has an opportunity in the environment i'm in with agrometrics to create a much bigger impact for the economy for the sector than i would have if i perhaps just continued to be the coo of a technology business purely doing a for commercial gain i think that um distinction around around impact is a really important one because we we look at so many metrics that are around performance measurement rather than impact measurement and you know we definitely sense i guess as you would within the zebra project but you definitely sense that curiosity about you know how do we how do we target impact? How do we measure impact? How do we storytell about impact as, as a sort of separate theme to um, to how we look at our businesses through a performance lens? It's, it's interesting that you use that word a number of times. I, I was also sort of thinking as you were as you were talking there about how important the the, the relationship is between the personal pivot and then the business or organisational pivot. And I see so often that actually it's. You know, there are there are great organisations that have that have refined their their focus or their operations. They've done some sort of pivot, but it does come from an individual doing the same thing at the same time, and it just you know for me reinforces the connection between great leadership and and great strategy. They they have to work in in, in tandem. I just wanted to, wanted to pick up on the on the the interdependence point because I think you know re- recognition that. That actually, t- to have that impact, you need to um, be very conscious about what what dependencies you have and how you create the support network that you've had. I think that's that's a really important theme for leaders who are you know who are you know actually venturing out on something new. Did you did you, you know, when you were making that that transition into looking at essentially thinking more about yourself? Did you have an understanding at that point of just how important other people or other organizations would be or was that part of the learning curve is that a scar that you bear i bear a lot of scars matt Uh, (laughs) so a a really a really important moment to me in terms of my learning around this some some decades ago was working my way through stephen j covey's seven habits for highly effective people okay and that transition from dependence to independence to interdependence but honestly, I came to that book too early in my career and I didn't really truly understand it. 
Okay. And it wasn't really until the point that I was out on my own, having to find my own work, um, build networks of resources that would replace those fantastic resources that I had available to me when I was part of a global consulting firm at the end of you know, at the click of my fingers. So, um, so learning how to go about um, being humble in a way that said, I don't know all the answers. I cannot, I can, I can't do all of this on my own. Okay. And I think that also came from that point. You don't have anything to prove. It's okay to go out and say, do you know what? I need your help. I don't have the answers. I need to bring people together. And it's okay for me to sit in the middle of this coordinating conversation and say, please help me. Please let's all help each other and collaborate to make something work. And going through that journey, that cycle a few times has really got me to a point where at a personal level, my management style is very, very different from what it would have been, let's say, 15, 20 years ago. Um, it's much more coaching and uh, much more about uh, bringing people along journeys as opposed to perhaps being more directive, which some might see as being an appropriate way to manage and that might work for certain organisations. Yeah, I went through a, a similar a similar journey and bore some scars early in my leadership career, sort of recognising that I had become the, the bottleneck in a sense. I had the longest to-do list because not only was I directive, but I was also controlling and, and actually the the you know, adopting a, a coaching methodology I trained as a coach and, um, and and applying that into the way I managed and led people was transformational for me and probably more importantly for the people around me. Um, so I, to I totally um, understand what you're saying there. And how wonderful to be in a position where you're you're essentially um, you know only worried about proving something to yourself uh, rather than other people. And my my experience of that has been you know, watching people do that that make that transition has been that actually there's there's so much more human potential recognized and realized when you're trying to prove something to yourself rather than meet the expectations of somebody else it's a real real opportunity to grow so no that is absolutely fascinating yes and if, if i may matt i think that one of the um things i build on there is being a being a parent with teenage children so much of what I do at the moment with them is just encourage them to do what they love doing, okay? To not have any thoughts about or, or, or direction from others to tell them what they ought to be doing. And, you know, I come from a generation where there were a lot of expectations about what you do when you're a bit bright at school, what kinds of careers are right for you, etc. So... So I'm really pleased. I think this is a, it's a generational thing at the moment. I think people are, the young people coming through today are just much more comfortable in their own skin in many ways. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, it's a similar domestic situation to you, I think. And, um, you know, the home and the, the kitchen table is the ultimate coaching environment. <laughs> it uh, needs to be done sensitively. But I but I think, you know, if we if we talk generationally, I think there is also a much greater receptiveness to mentoring and interdependence than perhaps when I was in my early professional career when it was sink or swim and you had to prove that, that you could swim and I think it's such a such a, a healthier environment now where that interdependence is is recognized and received positively so um very very interesting topic to to explore 
let's let's talk a little bit more about about agrometrics if if that's okay um be, not least because it does appeal to the geek in me and and the, the more we've talked about this offline um it's it's piqued my interest as a as a geography graduate and a fellow of the royal geographical society how all of these kind of topics come come together and, and agriculture is a great sector to look at that but perhaps you could just give us a flavor of some of the some of the work that agrometrics does in the in the real world Sure, thank you. So I mentioned earlier that at the heart of what we offer is the data marketplace. And what um, what I learned when I, well, actually, when I came into this sector, I had this huge misconception about the agri-food sector's uh, kind of data readiness. Uh, it, it's widely perceived that the agri-food sector is in a list of all sectors and their the ability to use data is right at the bottom of the list, okay? And that other sectors are much more savvy, much more aware. And, and actually when I joined the sector, what I realized that one of the things that, um, that, that, is, that is great about the sector is it, we're, it is awash with data. Okay, I thought there wasn't much data. That's one of the reasons why we weren't making, you know, using, building great tools and, and using data in the most effective way. But it, we're awash with data. You know, a tractor is trundling across the fields nowadays, is um, equipped with, with as much instrumentation as a fighter jet. <laughs> it's, it's GPS driven. The, 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 the boom off the back is making decisions based on optical imagery about whether to spray that plant with a little bit more chemical than another. So this, this convergence into what's called precision agriculture of AI, robotics, image processing, Internet of Things. There's a, there's a convergence of all sorts of technologies at the moment. Hence, your, you mentioned earlier on how much investment is coming into this sector. Um, what this sector is really poor at, is getting better at, but is really poor at, is actually bringing data together for decision making. And data is stranded and stuck in silos, either within organisations or even across Groups. It's very difficult to understand what the data assets are and bring them together. So at the heart of our offer is a data marketplace that makes that sharing easier. And, um, and we also lack, um, in, in many organisations, kind of data leadership. Uh, if you go to many sectors, you'll see the role chief data officer within their board or near their board level. Okay? There are very few organisations within the agri-food sector that really have a chief data officer with a data strategy uh, tasked with building data capabilities. Okay, so, so what we do is we use our data marketplace to help mix and match and merge data across organizations and help those organizations get value for their data. But we can also help organizations create capabilities that will leverage the data and they can then build out on those capabilities themselves. We're not a consultancy that wants to build everybody's data capabilities. We don't have the bandwidth to do that. We're only 30 people. So uh, I'd to give you an example of, uh, say, an ag-, ag chem business that we're dealing with. It's a global agrochemical business. Uh, we've created with them an application that is uh, targeted at safeguarding our drinking water. So it's a great objective. And um, what they found is that uh, they needed support from us to help bring their data together with farmers' data, with our data, to deliver to a farmer in the field or at their office uh, a forecast, a 
about which days over the next nine day period would be the best uh, day to go and spray particular active ingredient, active chemicals on their field on particular crops. And this was for pest and disease control. So we sit at the heart of that developing an algorithmic, mod algorithmic model with soil scientists. We deliver into that model some of our core data, just to talk to your GIS background. You know, we've attributed data across all the UK fields, 2.7 million fields in the UK. We've, um, we've attributed soil type, past and current and forecast weather data, topography, lots of other features of those of, of, of the land. And we've and we're able, given the farmer's location from their mobile phone, we're able to find the right field bring the data together, add that to data supplied by the farmer, like drainage conditions, uh, build in other regulatory information coming from this chemical business, like particular dates in the growing season that we have to be wary of. And we can then deliver through the user interface that advisory notice as a nine day forecast of which days would be good or bad days in a simple green, amber, red, because it's a, an advisory. So, so our, what we want to spend our time doing is making those data available. And if we can help people who need to build tools, who need to build applications to just get off, get those things off the ground, then we, we work with them to do that. And then we hope that they'll be able to take it forward from there. So I, I liked your reference earlier, earlier in our conversation to infrastructure. So if I, if I understand it correctly and, and shoot me down, if I don't I mean, essentially what you're, what you're, the game you're in is decision is helping helping people make decisions and ultimately you're you're pooling data sets rather than creating proprietary data sets yourself is that is that where the power in the infrastructure comes yes very much so so um we what we don't do is hoard data that's a that's a big myth that actually you know, some people have of agrometrics is that we're out there trying to suck up data from across the industry. And um, I know that's not the case. We've gone out and sourced open source data that's relevant to all these use cases. And also we've purchased other relevant data sets that are relevant to these use cases. And we brought those together and, as mentioned, attributed those, linked them and made them interoperable so that you can search through them and, make, and, and get more value out of those data. And then we can deliver those alongside a customer's own data to, into algorithms that then create a decision support tool. Okay, so, so it's very much about, you know, that customer's data can still sit and reside in their environment. We don't have to put it into ours in order to be able to make the decision. We're, we're not a dead data warehouse, okay? Um, but we link our data into theirs and that can be done within their environment, within some other third party environment, as long as an application can deliver the end result through this federated data infrastructure. And I'm, I'm guessing that it's it's important for you um, commercially, uh, or certainly in terms of your, your positioning in the market, to, to to have governance around that data that, that speaks to the, I guess, the, the, the conversation that's a, that's a burgeoning conversation around um, data and ethics and, and ethical innovation. How important is that as a topic area to, to agrometrics? Um, it, it's right at the heart of our thinking at the moment. You know, we, you, you mentioned right at the top that we are have gone through a strategic rethink about where we're at with agrometrics. 
um, what drives us, uh, what helps to position us better in the marketplace so that some of these myths that may have built up around the, the agri-tech centres, agrometrics being one of those, some of these myths can be, can be busted. And um, a key one of those is around trust. Okay. Uh, across the agri-food sector, there, there are uh, concerns and trust and trust concerns in how people use data, whether it's farmers' own data. Um, you know, they, they have many farm management systems that they have to put, put their data into for the purposes of sharing with retailers or just managing their own farm operations. And they're rightly nervous that those farm management system operators might inappropriately use their data for other purposes. Um, now, we know that those kinds of organisations operate in in an ethical way, but how do you get that point across? How do you how do you get that trust point across? So we've um, we've adopted principles like uh, getting ISO twenty seven thousand and one certification as a simple tool to show that we understand the issues of information security. Okay, so for the audience who don't who don't know this, it's the information security standard, and um, we believe we're the first um, organisation that is. Um, that is uh, pooling data within the UK in the agri-food sector who's got ISO 27001 certification. I did the search, I couldn't find anyone else who's doing it and, I, and actually if anyone's listening who is pooling data within this sector just go and get that standard, okay? You need it, it you will need it as a ticket to be able to operate with data in the future so you may as well get it now, right? So we got this when I first arrived because I've done this in all the previous three organisations I've been a COO of, you get ISA 20,001, you get ISA 27,001. It's a no-brainer. So, um, so we operate in a way that shows that we, we, we not only get the principles of it, but we've built it into the way that we work, all of our processes day in, day out. So people can, can be reassured that we do not sell data inappropriately, we do not transfer it in the wrong place, that we do protect it and secure it, etc. So those kinds of data security aspects are, are covered in that. But in terms of kind of ethics, um, so that there's, there's a couple of things going on here. One is around kind of governance, and then at a slightly more detailed level around the rather scarier proposition of machine learning and AI applied to data. Okay, so there are a couple of things. So if I can have a go at both of those briefly. So at the governance level, um, I was lucky enough a couple of years ago to uh, my, uh, Agrometrics was involved, became involved with a Microsoft initiative called the AI for Good program, and it was a small cohort, about a dozen companies, and they were all social innovators. Okay, and we were lucky enough to be able to come along into that program, and um, and I attended the stream of activity around social entrepreneurship and social innovation. And honestly, I learned so much going through that process, things I've never really been aware of before. You mentioned that I use the impact word a lot. That's purely because of those sessions I attended that really helped me understand how to think about a company's theory of change. What is the broader systemic change and impact that our business is trying to achieve in the marketplace? Um, so what's our theory of change? What is, what is the logic model that sits behind that, that describes how the inputs flow through to outputs, 
flow through to outcomes and impact? And, um, and how do we deliver that as kind of more of a two-pronged approach from Agrometrics's point of view, kind of half we've got to be commercial, but half we've got to deliver a public good. Okay, so all of that thinking has really changed up our language and changed up our strategy around how we now go to market. And um, so we've worked with organizations like the Open Data Institute, uh, the Social Tech Trust and others to think through not only our, our governance approach to data within Agrometrics, but also how do we almost set up an Uber governance model above Agrometrics so that the marketplace can be clear that when different people are coming into Agrometrics and using our capabilities for different purposes, we're applying the right governance model within that to those different use cases. And so the ODI, the Open Data Institute, has the concept of what are called data institutions, which are on a spectrum uh, from data trusts through data commons and data cooperative and data club. And we're not one of those. We're all of them within Agrometrics. We've got to choose the right governance model for the use case. So thinking about governance and, and ethics from that point of view is an interesting challenge we're going through right now. Okay, so we're just starting to talk to the market about the fact that we are moving in this, in this direction and um, and organisations within this sector are starting to gravitate towards that. So we're adopting a leadership position in the thinking around this. Okay, I mentioned the scariness of AI and machine learning applied to data. Now, in our case, we don't we don't have personal data sitting within our data marketplace, within our data infrastructure. We very rarely get access to that kind of data. So, so we, we don't need to worry about that quite so much. But, but others, yeah, one thing that does concern me, actually, about technologists generally is I mentioned my grounding in professionalism and codes of conduct, and I'm a chartered engineer, and you'll, you'll have very, a, a, a lot of letters after your name, Matt, because of your professional qualifications as well. And what, what concerns me a little bit about the market in technologists is um, not a lack of professional standards, but that not everybody is encouraged to go down that path. So there are so many software engineers and application developers out there who don't have that concept of what is it to be a to be a professional with qualifications and background and evidence of working towards standards and codes of conduct. Does that make sense? No, it does. It does. And I, you know, I, I was just reflecting as you were talking there whether that comes from within. You know, is that something that's built up from the organisations or? That, that are involved in data and, and data science or is that something that that's that's ripe for regulation and, and control and you know my natural my natural inclination is to notwithstanding being a lawyer is to is to try and avoid regulation and control unless it's strictly necessary let the market determine that which is which is why it's so important for for organizations who are doing what you're doing and placing great value on ethics and, and proper governance to be talking about that i think that's you know, it helps make that an issue in a you know in a relatively um, immature market in some sectors where where people perhaps don't understand all of the issues that are that are in play. I was thinking about the the impact and you know, the way you were talking there about the the inspiration from um, 
from social entrepreneurship and 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 the impact language um coming from the from the AI for good program it has that helped you is that is that sort of attracted government attention you know, how how do you interact with those who are looking at this at, at, at a sort of macro level rather than an individual organizational level yes um so i mentioned that um a, a good chunk of our income comes from grant funding through innovate uk and so we have um, a lot of a, a strong relationship with Innovate UK and with the government departments that are associated with our sector, i.e. DEFRA. And the fact that we're now able to express ourselves in this new way and be very proactive about where we stand on impact has made it very easy for these organisations to, to have the kind of conversations with us that we'd always hoped that they would have and perhaps we've kind of struggled to make happen in the past. Okay, so um, so I think the fact that we are now being seen by institute organisations like NF, the National Farmers Union, like the Agricultural and Horticultural Development Board, these are, these and other organisations are pivotal to this sector. Every farm has to deal with them, and uh, the fact that these organisations see us as their data innovation partner see us as being an organization that's taking a leadership position in espousing how data needs to be at the heart of the conversation in order to help us over the kind of shocks and issues and considerations and concerns that are impacting farming in the agri-food sector at the moment. I think that's made a big, it's really changed up the the quality of the conversation we're having with with all sorts of organisations, whether they're commercial, but also, as you pointed out, the um, the government and uh, other institutions, government bodies and other institutions. I'm always fascinated by businesses that are sort of built fundamentally on collaboration and, and interdependency, as you mentioned earlier. I think it's, you know, in some senses, how how boring is it when all you've got to worry about is customers? I think it's great when you've when you've got all these other relationships that drive drive the business model to uh, to think about and and very much, you know, my personal view, very much um, where we're going to see successful organisations in the future, those that are built on collaboration as much as um, you know, proprietary customer relationships. If you read about you know, young entrepreneurial businesses, and I, you know, I put I put agrometrics in that in that category, and you can tell me if I get that wrong. But if you th- if I think about young, you know, growing um, entrepreneurial businesses, there's a lot of discussion about the network effects of of what they're doing and how they can grow on the on the back of um, those those network effects. And and I wonder in a you know, in a business that's built on data and and sharing of data and, and and pooling of data, how important network effects will be to your your success. It is is at the heart of the business model. Um, so where we're at at the moment in our development is we've we've launched our data marketplace. It exists. If we were using lean startup language, which many of your technology listeners will will understand, um, but if we're using that language, we've launched the minimum viable product. Okay, and so it exists. It works. It's functional. You, Matt, as a data provider, could come along and make a data source of resource available. I, as a data consumer, could come along and find it and use it and and uh, use it for my purposes. And there would be value transfer to you, either in terms of money or in terms of insights. And um, 
And, and at the moment, we have some data providers, we have some data consumers, and where we're at at the moment in our in is, is testing our hypotheses, the business hypothesis, so that we can actually start. It, it, we're cranking the handle on that to the point where we need data providers looking at the marketplace thinking there are loads of data consumers there. It makes total sense for me to just come along and make my data available. We need data consumers to come along and be able to say, oh, wow, there are loads of people bringing their data in. It makes total sense for me to come along and consume data from this marketplace. And that's what we're building at the moment. And that obviously is that network effect you're talking about that ultimately getting this right means us kind of sitting back and just letting the whole thing take care of itself because it becomes a bit of a de facto place where people come to mix and match and merge and share and interoperate their data. Um, and you know, some people might say, and this is perhaps another myth to bust, um, what we're trying to do is be the only marketplace in this sector. Far from it, we're actually talking with organizations who are themselves marketplaces for data, but in very niche um, environments or sectors or use cases. And so that's an so we can enable that by essentially being a marketplace of marketplaces. Definitely makes sense. And I think, you know, given some of the challenges that we talked about earlier in the, in the sector, in agriculture as a, as a sector, um, you like to think that that, that collaborative network approach uh, will be embraced by everyone to, to really have impact in relation to those challenges. Other, think, thinking about that impact, is there... And presumably part of your part of your mission is to try and tackle or help other people tackle some of those big systemic challenges is you know is there a is there a particular area that you're excited about or where you think you're going to be able to have impact you know above and beyond others when i'm interviewing people okay i i, I love to say to them you know one of the um one of the great things about our sector is it's so broad. There are so many different things that we can do. There are so many challenges to face. And, um, and one of the issues with this is that there, there are so many things that we can do. There are so many challenges to face. So the important thing here is that, first of all, you're right. We're here to enable others to solve these big problems. We can't solve these big problems ourselves. We're, we are an enabling infrastructure to help bring these data together, to allow others to deal with their particular use cases, etc. cetera. Um, I was lucky enough to be involved in a group called the Food Industry Initiative on Antimicrobials. Okay, Envisioning ahead, this could be a huge issue for not only how the agri-food sector uses antimicrobials for rearing livestock, but also potential impact down the road on what this means for um, antimicrobials in, and penicillins in, um, in human for human use. So, um, so, so solving a big picture issue like that by being able to watch the whole industry collaborating around it and us as agrometrics being able to introduce into that conversation, this thinking around data governance and data trusts, how all these organizations can bring their data together um, in a secure way so that their commercially confidential information isn't compromised, but so that the overall analytics can be made available to the industry. Um, you know, being able to make that contribution to that conversation you know, was a 
great moment for me. I loved being in that conversation for that purpose. Um, so I think there are specific use cases like that that are vitally important to us. Um, but biggest picture is climate change, long-term long-term environmental sustainability, and um, and so many areas, so many researchers and commercial organisations and government um, initiatives are looking in this space at the moment. And we're involved with a number of initiatives around soil carbon and around sequestration, an initiative called Forest Mind, which is a collaborative initiative, government grant funded, um, looking at deforestation and, and uh, unsustainable encroachment. So knowing that others are using our capabilities and themselves having an impact is really exciting. It is super exciting. And I think, you know, and it always comes across when I'm talking to people who are genuinely authentically super excited about what they're doing. So I, I can see that there's a lot in there to motivate you to get out of bed in the morning and uh, and tackle the day. So it's it's been it's been great sharing sharing that with us. So the the million dollar question I think for me which is you, know, you, you qualify to to answer this question because it's a question that we we ask of of zebra businesses of good businesses that are, that are trying to do something more than simply be um, really successful commercially is is what do you think is on the board agenda for good businesses in the in the next chapter whatever that may be three years five years I'll take six months at this moment but um, whatever's coming next it would be uh, be interesting to know what you think is on the board agenda yeah thank you and we, we've touched on some of these through through the conversation um, number one for me in the list building on what we said around sustainability etc is actually to broaden that into the topic of what is now called ESG environmental sustainable and corporate governance and how businesses of the future will be measured by their ESG credentials and the um, the generation that's coming through who know they recognize that when they spend their money they're making a decision okay I think this will be, become very, very important to businesses uh, around their long-term sustainability, but also how they can demonstrate that they're creating the right impact on the world through their policies and, and through how they, you know, how their actions match their words. Um, I think that I've always been an advocate for data. Well, I used to say data-driven decision-making. I now say data-informed decision-making because there's still a human involved. And I think that um, that all businesses need to really up their game in terms of data-informed inf- decision-making. Uh, you know, I'm working in a sector where we're kind of coming coming through that thinking and starting to get onto the first rung of that. Other sectors are much further ahead, but we've all got to be um cognizant of the fact that technology is getting smarter ai is coming in and machine learning are coming into the mix we still need a human driver around all of that but data for decision making is key for the next generation for, of of um of innovation but also of productivity gains and the inevitable shift in workforce from some types of jobs to other types of jobs. So I'm a governor at a school and um, we talk an awful lot about preparing our young people for the future world of work. 
and that's going to be a technology and data-driven future. That's an ex- excellent place for us to finish because the, the Zebra project started um, out of a conversation about the future world of work. So uh, I'm grateful for you for, to, for, to, for bringing us back to that um, and also for satisfying my inner geek who likes data science businesses generally. So uh, it's, been, it's been wonderful talking to you, Benjamin, and um, I look forward to, to seeing how Agrometrics uh, changes the world and addresses some of those or helps other people address some of those challenges in the years ahead. 